0: Warren Buffett always recommends to buy companies with great moats. A moat is something that makes the company unique and protects the business from the competition. Patents are the best moats ever. Do you want to know why? Then listen to
1: If you want to, to develop a product, we will find a way to patent it. Yeah, mm. And it's not so much of the question of whether you get a patent uh, if there was a prior one, because there's always a way of... Um, further developing uh, an, an invention so that it's even better yeah so mm-hmm. it in the way it triggers uh, improvements if there if there are already patents out there um but the question is whether you're dependent uh, on it whether you have the freedom to operate if there was mm-hmm. a patent out there
0: dr gara redel is a patent attorney with more than 20 years experience in the life science industry her technical expertise in the fields of biotechnology biochemistry and chemistry, including protein engineering, biologicals, and small molecules, biomarkers, antibodies, alternative scaffolds, and libraries. Prior to founding real life science patent attorneys, she held senior positions in biotech, mid-sized pharma, and big pharma companies. She graduated as a biochemist and received her PhD in microbiology from the Technical University, of Vienna. In this episode, we are talking about the value of patents, fast track protection, key territories in a globalized world, digitalization, and interdisciplinary inventions. I hope you enjoyed the show the same way as I did. Welcome to a new episode of the Life Science Get Together Beginner's Mind podcast. Today, with a special topic about patents. Um, Warren Buffett, famous investor from the United States, always speaks about how important it is for businesses to have a moat um, that distinguishes the company from other companies. And ideally, it's a great economic mode. And in my opinion, one of the best modes that a company can have are patents. And why that is a great idea for any company to file patents and how that helps uh, is today's topic. And I'm very happy to have in this podcast recording, one of Austria's best patent attorneys, Gerda Redl. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Christian, for the invite. Happy to be here.
0: It's good to see you again. How have the last two years been for your office?
1: Oh, it was a, a great boom time. Um, as you can imagine, the interest in, in life science patents has grown um, um heavily and um great ideas um great investments uh great business opportunities uh in the field not just covid-19 related but uh the whole field um has uh, developed uh, very much and i'm really proud to to support this um on on the sides of the path
0: Yeah, the interest in life science grew tremendously since March 2020. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was always surprised how quick everybody learned about the essential, um, let's say, moving parts in the pharmaceutical industry, what clinical trials are, what research can do, what diagnostics is, medical devices, drug development. Uh, But Mm -hmm. sometimes I felt that uh, patents are not really understood so far. Um, One of my first questions to you is, I mean, Patent, in essence, is basically, I would say, I mean, in the past, it was a piece of paper. And now when I look at uh, data rooms, I see a bunch of PDF files. Can you explain for uh, the novice what uh, are patents all about? Why is that such a powerful instrument?
1: Um, patents are assets. Yeah? And when, you know, our tagline is when it comes to patents, we mean business. So um, it's not just a piece of paper that you put on the wall. It's something that, that uh, which is the basis for uh, developing a business. Um, as an asset, it gives you a right, um, a right to exclude others, a right to have a competitive advantage over the uh, over others who want to who want to um, to produce copycats. So you can actually prevent that somebody uh does the same without your permission um and um, your field that is uh your scope of the of the patent uh that is in a patent claim and it's all about uh patent claim that is granted by an office um nationally internationally and then you you can um make a business out of it it's like a basement if you if you think uh, you are generating a basement and then you're building a house. Uh, so you're building the business um, on the solid basement, and then you can rent the apartment uh, or sell the apartment. Um, so you can develop this business. Maybe this is, helps you don't, to to have a picture in mind. Abs-
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when I think about patents, uh, and what you said, the part that resonated the most with me was that it's an asset that basically protects, um, certain part of an industry, um, or helps uh, to avoid that others enter this field. It's basically creates uh, a virtual monopoly for a couple of years. Um. One question I have. I mean, you heard about many different kinds of patterns, so your composition of matter, process patterns, use patterns. Uh, Are all patterns created equally, or are there any significant differences? Which patterns are of value?
1: So, maybe some some general thoughts um, about the value. Um, um, I I think what I learned so far is um, the value is determined by um, Many factors, like um, a key factor is competition. If there are several parties that are interested in the, in this subject, the price will go up. Yeah? If you're the only one in the world, you, never, you don't need a patent. Because uh, if nobody has an interest in, in copying this, uh, as, then it's not not worth a patent. But if there are several parties who want a a business opportunity or want a license or sell it or maybe copying it, uh, the price is going down. Mm -hmm. Um, If the scope of protection allows alternatives because you have a very slim claim, um, a very small patent, and everyone can work around it, the price will go down. Yeah. So um, if your patent is uh, dependent on another one, so there is no freedom to operate without a license, the price will go down. Um, So the value is determined by the market and and the business opportunities in in essence, yeah. So in in insolvency cases, the price is going down because if nobody uh, wants this asset to buy this asset, again, the market is not not good for it. So... um, We can then discuss which patterns are of value. Um, um, Those that serve your business, I I think, is is the best answer. Because um, if if you have product claims, they are usually very strong. Because product claims have a scope to protect all products uh, or um, producing the product or using the product. As soon as you have the product uh, in your hands, uh, you are a possible infringer. Um and you would need a license. Um, with use claims, it's sometimes uh, not so easy to police, but I would not underestimate use claims. So what medical use claims in life science, we, we always talk about uh, medical use claims or diagnostic use. Um, because um, at the end of the life cycle um, of um patents protecting a commercial product, yeah. In most cases, there are use claims, like um, the clinical uh, uh, clinically use those um, treatment regimens, and so far. And um, because first you have broad uh, basic patents, then you have some uh, some more specific patents on formulation, but then maybe on on the use, in, maybe in the life cycle of your product, they are the last patents uh, with the last pat- the longest patent term. And at the end of the patent term, every day counts. So at the end of the patent term, the most valuable uh, claims are the use claims um, in most cases. Yeah. So I would not underestimate uh, or generally say use claims are less um, of the less value than product claims. So um, maybe one other category is platform and, and product um, and I experienced that um, because we're talking about the future um i experience I experienced that there is a trend nowadays to more and more early stage um, business assets and business opportunities so when when I'm supporting um, uh, investment cases um and due diligence, um I realized that let's say. A few years ago, um, people were looking for late stage um, products, um, those that are clinical development or at least I stage. But nowadays, it's more and more early stage uh, investment cases, uh, and this means platform technologies, not maybe not only fully developed products. Yeah, um, and as long as they are innovative and 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 there is a market potential. Potential. So, um, what would you think is of higher value uh, when, when you think of the mRNA vaccines? Um, uh, is it the technology of stabilizing mRNA or the vaccine product um, with a specific RNA um, encoding the spike protein of SARS CoV 2? What, what would you think? The platform um... or the product?
0: When I come from <clears throat> my personal investment preferences, um, I would go for the platform technology, which can be the basis for many products. Um, a single product, I mean, mRNA now it's uh, very popular, uh, the vaccines, but the discussion around it, I see on the media is that probably new variants uh, need to change in, uh, in the products. Uh, so, when I just imagine that one patent is just for one product, let's say for one variant, and uh, in a couple of months we have the next variant, and Mm -hmm. the specific patent is only linked to one variant, then why should anybody buy that uh, if the current vaccine or the old vaccine is not helpful for the new variant? So Moderna or, um, just in my mind, uh, just waking up Moderna or BioNTech needs to then produce a new product. and file for a new product patent. But when they have a strong patent around the technology, I believe everybody who wants to produce a product needs at the end of the day, a license from the initial technology. The question I have to you is, have I the right understanding of this patent world or did I miss something in my explanation that uh, I like um, some information? Yes, uh,
1: definitely, I, w- I would agree. Um, at the time the platform technology was developed for these mrna vaccines that was already starting in 2005 mm-hmm. so that was early stage so when it was valued at that time it was okay it was seen as having a um, high risk um, uh, or a high uh, um, a low attrition rate so that, which means that the value at that time was pretty low but nowadays, of course, it's good to have a platform. As you said, there could be a series of different vaccines produced with the same platform. And I mean, platform technologies like mRNA stabilization or formulation in lipids and nanoparticles and so forth. So um, I think it's always about the portfolio. So you would need to have the right mix um, of, a, of a platform technology and then product-directed claim. Yeah. That, that would would be the best because then you could uh, could have a business of um, developing different kinds of product with different um, different um, business partners um, based on on one platform technology so this this is about the the, the subject that um, are under discussion and where you can um, play with and find the right strategy, um, not only with your business, but then um, also with your patent portfolio. So it's about developing the patent portfolio.
0: I mean, BioNTech probably is a good example because it's related to everybody knows these days, yeah, uh, BioNTech true. and Modiana. Uh, it was different in 2019, as you said. I mean, um, mRNA vaccines in 2019 Mostly nobody had an interest in it except the hardcore life science investors. Um, Just imagine, I mean, initially you said that uh, if nobody wants to copy your technology, you don't need a patent at all. Uh, Is it really a wise approach? I mean, just thinking about BioNTech before 2020, MRNA had potential, but not many companies were doing something with that. I just imagine yeah. if what, what if the, the inventors of the MRNA technology have decided a couple of years ago, we don't need a patent because nobody seems to be interested. Uh, and now in 2020, uh, suddenly something occurs uh, internationally. The change is the view on this technology Tremendously. Uh, what would be your advice when you hear from a scientist, yeah, my technology is good, but nobody is interested, so I don't have yeah. the money for fighting for, for
1: parents? There are famous examples for this. Uh, for instance, the famous uh, MRC um, in Cambridge, um, mm-hmm. they were um, uh, famous for developing uh, recombinant antibodies. At that time, um, um, there was a Nobel Prize uh Winner, um, but uh, the people of the tech transfer office they say, oh, nobody will have an interest. So, um, if if of course it's about inventions and new markets, and and um, as as you know, uh, marketing experts they always have a hindsight uh, interpretation of the market and hardly can expect which will be the market within the next twenty years. Um, They have a hard time evaluating um, inventions. Evaluating inventions. So, I mean, um, you, was, you would always ha- need to have in mind that the patent term is twenty years, and uh, the market can develop. Um, and and sorry, sorry
0: to interrupt you, but twenty years in business is a very, very long time. Yeah. No, so a, a lot, a lot can happen in twenty years.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the mRNA technology was at first developed uh, in the direction of uh, vaccine, oncology vaccines. So uh, for many years, um, people were trying to develop oncology vaccines based on this platform technology, Uh, and this was a good starting point uh, for the um, uh, infectious disease vaccines because they didn't uh, need to start from scratch, and there was already a development process ongoing. Um, So it's it's especially for universities or the MRC institution um, at that time it was very very hard to um, estimate which will be the value of this invention. Um, But having, um, this is a kind of creative process, of course, you you need to to imagine what can you do with um, with such a technology in the future. And I mean, uh, at first you need to be brave and very optimistic and think it can be used in many different areas. Um, and later on, uh, when, when patenting gets more costly in the national phase, so three, five years after the first filing, then it gets costly. Then you can think of uh, restricting territories if you're not so much convinced um, of the value and if you do not want to invest uh, more money. So you can then um, abandon uh, country by country or abandon the whole family if, if it turns out that there is really no interest
0: in, in this technology. I mean, I would uh, give it a business turn. Um Just imagine an, an inventor. So when an inventor says he will never, ever do something with the invention that helps bringing uh, his invention or her invention to potential customers or, in our case, patients, then I think it can be questioned whether a patent process makes sense or not, if uh, there is a clear no uh towards commercialization or uh, turning it into a product, if it's just the publication that's important.
1: This this is what what I would say to a client if if nobody it's a nice invention but if you if you do not want to do anything with it and you do not want to let others do anything with it I mean it's just a piece of paper on the wall and this is of no use and just costly you better take the money and have a nice vacation.
0: But, um, the, but the minute when we come from the business, but the minute uh, when someone says, no, of course, I want to ha- want to see it in a product it should help people. Uh, I think patents are key to success because if this person then wants to maximize the potential of licensing partners, uh, mm-hmm. he or she needs to have patents because without patents, I, hardly, I, c- I cannot imagine any pharma company stepping into uh putting billions in development and commercialization when they cannot redeem their expenses? Yeah.
1: If there is not yet a patent, they will immediately try to get one. Um, they will, if they only um, buy know-how, Yeah, uh, it's very much dependent on was there really confidentiality um, regarding this know-how and is there a leakage in, in this kind of trade secret um, system? Uh, as, and also the the value of just know-how license is pretty low compared to patent
0: license yeah so it's this, this is an interesting point that uh i would like to uh discuss a little bit further i mean there is always this uh, uh around patent it's this 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 mystery of being a secret so before filing a patent nobody should be aware of the invention ideally When I come from the deal structuring side, I mean, it's like a market. We need to be out in the world and tell everybody about the great invention to attract potential licensing partners and investors. Um, I mean, ideally, there is a patent process before anybody goes out on the market. But in the real world, very often, uh, these two parts are interlinked. How dangerous is it really? Uh, for the patent process, uh, when somebody like me, for example, uh, runs around on the market and tells the people, "Hey, we have a new invention. We can uh, do a produce a product with that. Do you want to see it? Uh, does it harm the patent process in case no patent has been filed yet?
1: Of course, this is uh, this is a major issue because if you if you tell somebody uh, without confidentiality agreement, um, um, it's published. So it doesn't need to be uh, a publication in a scientific paper uh to um get an invention uh anticipated. Uh so um I mean uh there will not be an a patentable invention anymore if you if you have uh freely discussed it uh in the public, uh then it's it's no more novel and uh the um the patentability is destroyed. So <laughs> Better file first, and then go around and talk about it.
0: <laughs> Better file first before being sorry. Uh, did I get it right? The confidentiality agreement can fix that problem. Uh, is it really?
1: Uh... Yeah, yeah. Of course, it it, it needs the the parties need to respect the confidentiality. Not just have the confidentiality agreed on the paper and then then bre- then be in breach of this agreement. But if you trust in in the other party that they are. Taking care of confidentiality. Uh, this is the usual way of uh, proceeding because as soon as you have filed a patent, you want to market it.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, so big, big institutions or big pharma, they uh, usually try to keep that um, longer on, on the confidential uh, level. Um, but if you are um, dependent on marketing your uh, invention, because you need an investor, you need a business partner. Uh, then you go out to conferences. Then you have a non-confidential teaser, and later on, under confidentiality, you can have the confidential information package for a review.
0: That's, but that's the ideal route right, would be to have the patent process started already and filed for the first patent before going out on the market. So it's uh... of course,
1: of course, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I mean, it's, it just relates um, all back to which patents of are of value, in my opinion. Because I mean, as you said, when people run around on the market and then start filing for patents, uh, it might then the value is gone. <laughs> <laughs> then, the, then, the, then the value is gone, of course. Yeah. Uh, so better be careful and uh, ask an expert uh, beforehand. Uh, the, I mean, the patent then is the foundation of creating a business. And we have heard now that there are several types of patents. Uh, in your opinion, what is really the strongest approach that a company can go when they start their first business?
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business
1: um the as a business start you have a, a business idea in mind um and some commercial um products be it um really uh, composition of matter or services yeah so uh these are commercial applications which can be the subject of patent claims now yeah? and you you better discuss um with a patent attorney so how to build a portfolio of patent protection that is helpful. So as, as we discussed beforehand, uh, you can maybe have a platform technology and then some specific uh, composition of matter that you want to develop. And, and um, uh, you, you might think of um, technology like, like a screening uh, elite candidate. Uh, Then the lead candidate itself, method of producing the lead candidate um, and formulation and um, some essay systems to find out whether the the lead candidate is really a good one. So these are the the aspects which could help to build a a patent portfolio that is um, supporting your business idea. So it needs to match your, your business purpose. Um, and um, that's why we we always say when it comes to patents we mean business. <laughs> so it's um, it's it, it's it's case it's case by case. And that's why mm-hmm. it needs a discussion um, to to go along this line.
0: I mean, when we talk about business, let's look at uh, companies at different stages. For example, I mean we mentioned biotech, biotech, Moderna, and uh, also in that uh, environment, uh, Pfizer working i uh, had a look at their balance sheets um in the last quarter i mean they have a lot of capital on the balance sheet so they can run completely different processes uh when i look back i mean, i think biontech started somewhere in 2007-8 and mm. usually when companies start or when the first scientist says okay that would potentially make sense to turn it into a product this invention usually money is scarce at the beginning so um there are no billions in the game. Um, mm-hmm. At best, when you look at Austria, for example, a scientist can file for FFG grants or can go to AWS and file for pre-seed and seed, and we are talking about a few hundred thousand euros. Uh, when the scientist also has a circle of rents uh, in which a few business angels are, we usually talk also about a few hundred thousand euros. So when I summed that up, um, the capital for developing a new drug product, um, potentially in the beginning, uh is about a few hundred thousand euros or up to one or two million euros. So it's a huge difference to eight billion. What I heard from patent processes is that they are really expensive and can burn a lot of money. Um, How is the reality initially when it comes to filing patents? How costly is this process? And how much time does it take um, to come to a point in which the scientists then with his Business partners can go out on the market and look for further capital to develop the product further.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a very good question because it, it, it need the patent strategy needs to meet not only the business objectives but um, also the timeline. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, um, you need a news flow, of course, uh, but you you, you have um, also then the the patenting uh, flow. Uh, at first, patents are cheap. That a first filing is is always cheap. It's it's below ten thousand. And in the life science uh, field, you have fifty pages, one hundred pages, uh, first filings, and it's always below ten thousand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And within the priority year, you have a refiling, and usually you go for the international route, uh, a PCT application, which is the international one. And again, uh, it, it's less than ten thousand. And you really have time uh, until thirty months following the first finding. So at that time, you you have the cost factor. 30 months from your starting point, um, you have to decide which territory you choose Mm. for uh, examination and granting procedures, and that will drive the costs. So uh, in this first 30 months, you can really do a lot. You can maybe file some more patents that you later on find, okay, I do not need it anymore. But just in case you need it, if there is um, a potential interest by a partner, yeah, Hmm. then better have a patent application in this field, yeah? Um, And later on, you can be selective. So better start very brave and and optimistic, finding the first uh, patents. um, And then later on, when it comes to the cost drivers, uh, you can then be selective on the territory you need and, whether you need it just um, as a safeguard or or maybe um, uh, just as uh, preventing alternatives or whether it's really your key patent uh, for your key product, then you go into the territorial protection worldwide. And we can discuss what means a worldwide protection maybe uh, later on.
0: So when I... I hope I listened uh, very closely to what you said. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are in the beginning. Initially, we are at around ten thousand euros for the first application, and talk about a couple of weeks or months until the filing process is completed in a way that the people can, let's say, attack the market with marketing claims. Is that uh, did they get the right understanding for the just for the start of the process?
1: Yeah, yeah, you can have um, after your first filing you have a priority date um, and then you can go out uh, marketing with on a, of course non-confidential teaser and then a confidential information package. I would be a bit careful in the first year after the first filing because uh, in during this priority year, you can change the invention a bit and refile it when 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 it comes to the international filing. And if if you change the invention a bit, maybe you you don't have the priority for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, this could be a drawback. Um, so that's why uh, I would better um have um the disclosure of the invention only under confidentiality, yeah, during the first year. Uh, but after the first year, um you, you can really go out and, and uh, publish as you like.
0: No, I like, I like the process you suggest to first go out with a non-confidential deck that doesn't uh, disclose any. Uh, trade secrecy or any parts of the patent initially, then file a uh, confidentiality agreement or non-disclosure agreement, and uh, mm. then open the data room. It's also a good uh, business practice to first find out who's really interested in doing something with that, and who is just coming around to look at the technology. I mean, it doesn't make sense to, uh, in, to to use time to just uh, show everybody what uh, what the company has. Um, if I then. Uh, interpret your words in the correct way. Then after the first filing, uh, we have 30 months until the really costly phase starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes really expensive. Uh, so it means the company then has two um, two two and a half years uh, to move the technology forward on one hand and also on the other hand to find either uh, industry partner, strategic industry partner or investors who then cover the expenses after the 30 months.
1: Right. That's that's the uh, a very practical practical way of moving forward. As um, sometimes here, I want the protection worldwide, uh, and how do you get that? Um, um, you you get usually an international patent application, which which covers 154 countries, mm. yeah? uh, and that is a placeholder for uh, examination and granting procedures in those countries. But, uh, it will only start after national phase entry. And this is uh, actually 30 or 31 months after the first filing. Yeah, so right. When you select, let's say, US, Canada, European patent, Japan, China, uh, and all these, uh, um, countries where you need translations and, and where you need to pay official fees, uh, this will drive the costs.
0: I mean, this is a great recommendation. So basically it's strategy first. Then uh once the company has the strategy or the inventors have the strategy, uh tied down or the initial strategies tied down, it makes sense to speak with a patent attorney. And then let's say roughly 30 months until this uh globalization phase begins. The question that the globalization when it's also good to uh then involve strategic partners or investors when they come on in the discussion, what makes sense? Uh very often, I mean. Very often, yeah, it's uh, 20 years ago, that, uh, 15 years ago that I started in the life science industry. I mean, when I think about the territories, mm-hmm. uh, I always heard back then, United States, North America is very important. Also, mm-hmm. Europe is very important. And let's forget about the other countries, let's forget <laughs> about the other countries in the world. Um, now, with uh, about 20 years later, when I look at the world, I mean, we live in a global world. Um, is it really helpful still? Is it really a good strategy to just say, okay, let's uh, protect the um, uh, territories in North America, the territories in Europe, and let's forget about Africa, India, and Asia.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Yeah, of course, it's a budget question, but um, if I think a reason of a selection is, is where the major markets are or the specific markets are, depending on your product where your competitor uh, sits or where your potential partner is lo- um, located and your home base because you don't want that your employees maybe start a business in your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> um, and from my experience, I-, I would say a startup will pick and choose the country where potential partners are, uh, big pharma, and also where the big pharma will seek protection because they want to sell, um, let's say they are... Um, Assets to big pharma, so they would usually go for those countries which are also selected by big pharma. um And, and the originator um, will will select the major markets, but only very selectively. Yeah, when it comes to a generic company, uh, if you want to to um, get your generic product out, you ha- you are really choosing a very broad coverage. Yeah, every single country um, where um, generic production is uh, maybe uh, based. Um, but at the end, it's, it's all, all about the budget. Um, I mean, in life science patents, there are also a few further considerations, not just only the general ones. Um, but there's also a consideration what can be protected here and there. And there are quite some differences, um, like uh, natural products. Um, um medical use claims, um, method of treatments, diagnostic methods, they are they are all handled differently um in the US, in Europe, and in China. Uh, because you were we were you were discussing China. Um so even 10 years ago, I heard no, we don't need China, but this is real that that was outdated 10 years ago already. So <laughs> it's every every life science uh patentee goes for China, of course. Yeah. Uh, even more important than Japan, um, Korea is also on the list. Yeah, because they they are very um, the, the, the life science business and the production facilities in Korea they are very good. Um, also, India uh, is has a life science industry that um, has high potential. Um, but as I said, there are here and there some restrictions with life science topics. And um, the last few years, uh, the US was quite restrictive. So we we are in in a paradox world where uh, the US uh, USA um, has granted um, life science patent in a very strict restrictive way uh, and and. China has has even developed to grant life science patent, being broader with broader coverage. Yeah, so that that has changed a lot, and we, I I can maybe um, get you a few examples of the US. Okay, um, um, so in the eighties we had the Chakrabarty uh, decision, and maybe you heard about it. It, it, it. The Supreme Court said anything under the sun that is made by man can be patented. So that's nice, a nice story. Anything under the sun, yeah? <laughs> but that has changed in, in life science um, because um, there was the the example of Myriad, BRAC1, um, the breast cancer um, gene mutation. Um, Supreme Court said um, maybe this was the Angelina Jolie effect uh, because she had... Um, uh, surgery because of her um, prevalence of the uh, gene mutation. Um, Myriad could not patent the human gene that was the, the gene mutation, uh, but because this was a um, considered as a natural product. Yeah, it, it was even if it was isolated and analyzed, it was the U.S. Supreme Court said it is a, is a natural product cannot be. Uh, patented only the cDNA uh, which is um, engineered for um, expression in a, hel- in a host system that is artificial that can be patented yeah uh, there's another example with diagnostic means uh, diagnostic methods um, are just mental acts or law of nature that was the decision of Mayo, Mayo versus Prometheus um, and that changed a lot. Uh, the, the diagnostic business in the U.S. was really uh, smashed because of this decision in the U.S. Imagine uh, you, can't, you have a, a, a diagnostic um, asset, and in vitro diagnostic tools, and it's just measuring um, um, one parameter. And, and then you say, OK, uh, if you have this pattern, um, you have this disease. The U.S. Supreme Court said, "Okay, this is a just a mental act, law of nature, not patentable in the U.S. In the Europe, of course, uh, you have it's it's much better defined. You have the European um, guideline um, of biopatents, and that is very clear and, and says if as long as there is a technical step, um, you you can you can patent uh, the diagnostic." Uh, Method and as as long as it's an isolated product, even though it's naturally occurring in blood or whatever, uh, if it's isolated and characterized, if it's a preparation, um, it's patentable. So that that is also also needs to be uh, taken into consideration. Talking about territories, Um, what is patentable here and there, Um, and. And then you can, you can play with uh, the claim language and um, the protection that you need here and there. Maybe one more example um, of territorial differences uh, in China. Um, it's, um, it's easier to, to um, have um, patents on, on products that are isolated from nature. Um, however, uh diagnostics uh they have different kind of claim language. That's that's why I, I told you about claim language, the appropriate one, yeah. So it's not a method of diagnosing, it's a method of producing a product for diagnosing. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> kind of um different claim language. But you see, um US, the USA gets more and more restrictive. Uh and and the European side is maybe on the opposite side, and the future um which will um, show which countries follow this route or that route. Canada, Australia is more and more on the U.S. side, but the rest of the world is more on the European side.
0: I mean, when I look where the venture capital is going these days, I mean, yesterday I read an article in Forbes that from 1998 and 1997 that $10 billion went into venture capital, early stage venture capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and less than 1 billion, I think it was 600 million back in 1997, 1998 in, um, in drug development in biotechs. Um, the latest report I read from CB Insights said that uh, globally 631 billion venture capital was invested in more or less early stage companies. And um, I hope I remember it right, 150 or something goes into drug development. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just imagine, I mean, early stage companies, I mean, the foundation very often for a company is the patent. So if the government wants to help scientists to move forward, to explore more and more invention, uh, whether they can be turned into products that help society, I think a less restrictive patent law would be helpful uh, to overcome the initial hurdle. Uh, the more restrictive patent laws get, I mean, the higher the hurdle is, the less motivated I think people become is that then the right few could you see it differently
1: yeah and the example of the um diagnostic products in the us is maybe um a good example for that because if if diagnostic business in the us has such an such a drawback because they could not um protect their inventions and their investments in in development of diagnostic tools if you can't protect it because uh on the um, day, on the short-sighted um, argument that society needs to um, to get access to uh, tools for diagnosing disease, yeah, then the investments will go down in the US, yeah, and um, you will have diagnostic systems outside the US um, because. There, they, they got uh, the protection they need for uh, new investments in this area. Yeah, so um, it's it, it has a drawback, um, but of course, uh, I also understand the other side where where uh, people say, okay, and this uh, law of nature, what is what is the um, um, the additive value of, of an invention in this regard. Yeah. So this was what the, the, the court uh, was saying. And yeah, I I, I, I guess it's more the Angelina Jolie effect (laughs) than than just the theoretical arguments.
0: I mean, it's a philosophical question. Maybe it's uh, also the question, how quick can people react? I mean, just coming from the investment side when I think let's say something, it's 10 million investment initially to, to move forward. And when there is no patent process, so it's not possible to file a patent, why should an investor bet ten million on a technology when uh, after the initial development step, especially in diagnostics, that's everybody everybody yeah. can copy it. I mean, it doesn't make sense. This investor would not be in a position to redeem her investment.
1: Yeah, that's the point. And of course, we we also do that um, patenting of diagnostic systems in the U.S. Yeah. But it's very tricky to get the right claim language uh, and to draft the the, the appropriate um, specification um, because there's always a way of patenting. However, the the um, scope of protection in the US will differ from the one in Europe, where you get broad claims. And 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 as I said, um, it, it, it's an international business, and uh, you. Usually, do not want to limit your market to only one country. Yeah, if if you want to to get your product uh, to out to to different markets, you will need patents here and there. Um, or if you're seeking partners, let's say in in China, a different partner than in Europe, you need patents here and there. Um, but the scope will differ. Mm.
0: I mean, the, the, the other question I had, but when you brought up the patentability of uh, different invention, in different territories, um, I mean, I think when we, when we talk about society or something becomes available to society, isn't uh, the, the biggest problem in that the companies file for patents that actually don't do anything with the patent, they don't develop a technology? Uh, they just have the patent filed and the market protected, but then they don't do nothing uh, around it. Is is it possible in such cases when, for example, an inventor says, okay, I mean, I have an invention. I can't protect it because company XYZ has protected the entire market for the next 20 years, so I can't find investors because I, I don't get the patent protection. Is there anything, uh, let's say, in development on, regu- on the regulatory side that... Uh, would uh, enforce uh, such companies to give licenses um, 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 to an inventor who wants to develop actually something with a patented area within a patented area.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: The coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100
1: dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. I think if if you want to to develop a product, um, we will find a way to patent it. Yeah, mm. um, and it's not so much of the question of whether you get a patent uh, if there was a prior one, because there is always a way of um, further developing uh, an, an invention so that it's even better. Yeah, so mm. it in the way it triggers uh, improvements if there if there are already patents out there. Um, but the question is whether you're dependent uh, on it, whether you have the freedom to operate if there was mm. a patent out there. And if somebody, if somebody just has um, a patent application out there, it does not hinder you really, because if it's abandoned, it's just published, uh, mm. not granted. Um it, it's prior art, of course, for your new patent application, but it doesn't hinder you. Uh, there is still freedom to operate because, because it was already abandoned. Yeah. Um, if if it if it if the prior patent has already granted, um, and um, the question is whether it is maintained in your territory. If people uh, did not pay the maintenance fees, the annuities, yeah, then it's again it's 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 not an issue for you. Yeah, so freedom to operate um, very much depends on whether the prior patent was granted and whether it's maintained in the in- territory of interest. And if if the people are not interested in this kind in this field, usually they let the, the the family members go abandon by not payment the annuities because it's it's getting more and more expensive the the older the patents are. Mm. Um, I think think this is the the um, why the, the patent system provided for um, uh, higher annuities um, if uh, every year, uh, that so that, that it triggers uh, abandoning the patents. That
0: yeah. make that that makes sense. It drives people out of the market if they don't want to do anything with the patent or develop anything that redeems the cost. It doesn't make sense commercially. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to pay the maintenance fee. Um, I mean, this, this patent area, it, sounds to me that it's very complex and sometimes it feels to me like it was rooted in it's easy it's not (laughs) very
1: complex it's really easy (laughs) it's very logical and 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 straightforward there
0: are
1: straightforward rules yeah
0: (laughs) the rules yes but when i just think about the the number of patents that are already on the market and we have uh, more than eight billion people on the planet and uh, i think the roots of the patent system is somewhere in 1800 something uh, in a not-connected, not-globalized world with less than 1 billion uh, people on the planet. Um, now we have much more scientists developing uh, new great ideas, filing for patents. Mm-hmm. Um, when I just think about when I mean, the rules are clear, but uh, sometimes it might pop up that similar technology has already been filed in China or in India, that scientists are working on there in the same field, uh, how would say how fast is this process really? I mean, when I think back to March 2020 or to February 2020, when BioNTech's founder started thinking about using their technology to produce a vaccine uh against a noble virus, uh, I'm pretty sure they also had patent questions to solve. And uh when I then uh go through these articles that I read uh, on the internet about what they had to do to turn the invention into a product that finally could be accepted by the FDA and the AMA as a new product and uh, released to the market. Um, I believe a few hundred millions went into the development um, from the concept phase until the product was on the market. When I now think about the timing uh I think the the, found, the founders uh, said that they started thinking about it in February 2020 when they read about the situation in China, mm-hmm. and less than a year later, the um, the first product was used in real patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think about the patent process, I didn't have the feeling that the alongside this this fast fast production cycle. Uh, that the patent process uh, is um, set up in a similar speed
1: yeah. when we now
0: think at the effects on the pharma industry from the learnings we had through the pandemic um i believe fast product cycle or production cycles could hopefully become the norm to have uh, quicker solutions is there also on the patent side something that facilitates such uh, fast development cycles or is it really just a risky game to say, okay, we try to bring something to the market within one year, we get the support from regulatory authorities, but yeah. on the patent side, it's just a game of luck or a game of chance?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's certainly an exceptional case. and Not all the development efforts were lucky. Uh, there were many development efforts in parallel, but there was a Merck um, initiative, a Sanofi initiative, Sandoz, CureVac, uh, they did not get to the successful end of the story. Um, and there was a lot of investment, yeah? and um, not really backed up by novel patenting, mm-hmm. yeah, because the, the the virus, I think the, the sequence was um, published early 2020, Um, and uh, a year later there was already a vaccine developed, yeah, this was really an exception, and usually, you know, uh, it takes uh, three to five years to get a European patent uh, granted in the life science field, and if you're lucky, be within two years, yeah, Um, even with the usual uh, acceleration requests, yeah, and you call the examiner, you hardly get it faster, yeah, so what What do you do in such an exceptional case? Um, In in the pandemic, the regulatory review was uh, quite adaptive. Yeah, it was, they had shortened review, they had some flexibility to get it on the market, parallel and rolling review. um, And did the patent system follow? Yes and no. Yeah, because... um, in the US, there was a, um, a specific program for COVID nineteen prioritized examination. Yeah, so they called Track One, and and uh, we also tried that. It was very good. Um, you we got um, a grant um, notice of allowance within seven months after filing. If and this was a prioritized um, examination because it was a COVID nineteen uh, topic. Yeah. Uh, track one um, examination in the US um, was costly. It, it was already uh, possible to have this kind of prioritized examination already in the past. Uh, it, it, I think it was $4,000 uh, to get then a decision within a year. Uh, and for the COVID 19, uh, it was for free. Yeah, so there was no additional extra um, examination fee for this prioritized examination. So that really was nice in the US. And um, uh, it turns out to be very useful. In China, there's also a kind of similar um, prioritized examination. Um, I looked at that. It was called a special program for COVID-19 related patent applications um, and aiming to get the allowance or rejection within six months. Very fast. In Europe, There is no such special program, unfortunately. It's just the the common pace program. And we're really now pushing hard to get the first grant, let's say within 18 months, uh, hardly possible. yeah. So in Europe, they're really uh, not uh, adaptive to to such uh, exceptional cases. Um, And I I also um, took a look at the effect of the fast-track proceedings uh, for such COVID-19-related topics and compared um, Chinese, U.S. and European um, grounds. Um, and it, I found in November 2020, so less than a year, um, the, this COVID-19-related topics um, with, with first priority filings in 2020, yeah, because before it was the, the gene was not known um so within a year uh, in china there were already 91 patents granted in this field in the us 15 in europe zero yeah so this was within one year um so within uh, a year later yeah uh, i also t- took a look it was 10 times more yeah. So in China it was uh, 999. In the US 164. In Europe zero. Yeah. Ten times zero is also zero. <laughs> and two months two months later um, it was even more than fifty percent higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we got to 1,500 in China, 250 in Europe, zero in Europe. So really, it, the best strategy, if it, when it comes to such exceptional cases, is to start in the US and in China first, and then have um, um, prioritized examination based on the grant in the corresponding um, uh, country. And this is called the patent prosecution highway that accelerates also in, in Europe. Yeah, so that is maybe the, the right strategy of finding.
0: China, China is a very interesting country. When I think back to. 2017 or 16 it was a trip with the austrian chamber of commerce um i heard in the presentation that china plans to become the innovation leader and what you say right now that uh the sheer number of patents that were granted in a short period of time in a special topic uh underlines that approach in china that they really are serious about becoming innovation yeah,
1: leader these, these are not junk patents you know um, maybe 10 years ago people thought oh they they are just writing something they i looked at some selected cases they had the, the vector claims uh, like, like from oxford yeah so uh, of course different vectors and different technologies but uh, the quality of the filings are are good yeah so i comparable um, mm-hmm. I would say then this has been has improved a lot.
0: When I look on uh, in parallel, you mentioned the patents, and yesterday I read also in the CB Insights report about the venture investments in China, in Europe, and in the United States in Q4 2021. 90 billion were invested in the United States, uh-huh. mm-hmm. 50 billion in China, mm-hmm. and It was not zero in Europe, um, (laughs) but uh, I mean, Europe is twice as big as the United States when we look at the inhabitants and half the size of China, uh, roughly. And the investment in Q4 and venture capital in tech companies was uh, 22 billion. So it's also a very small number. When I combine that now in my mind, with this area that you mentioned and say, okay, 50 billion and 1,500 patents, then you have in the United States, 90 billion. And how many patents were it at the end? 250. 250 and zero patents and 20 billion in Europe. They how would the future will, look like?
1: They will pop up later. Hmm. It's, it's just, uh, it's also a matter of uh, speed. Of course, they were filed in, in Europe, but um uh, I think published there were already 340 at that time, uh, but not granted.
0: But how how would it then relate? I mean, what what would happen if um, a Chinese patent is already granted in a similar uh, in a similar area than a European patent?
1: Um, you will need to, to work it out later. So the freedom to operate that will be a jungle.
0: Okay, yeah? okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> but. Um, it's, uh, as, uh, to my experience, as soon as, uh, as long as there is a market and a price, mm-hmm. um, the involved parties will find a settlement because they can have a benefit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you can work it out later. It, it, doesn't, but, it doesn't help to 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 sort out any unknowns. But yeah. when
0: I but but when I really go to early stage development and say okay well, where does the process start? It looks to me, it seems to me that the processes and the availability of capital is much more beneficial for early stage founders and inventors in China and in the United States than in Europe, because I mean at the end of the day when you have very quick patent processes, I think it's always good to to know very early if a patent is granted or not. Uh, would you would, would you see it similarly or? Um
1: yeah, other we, we you know. have we have you, we have also cases which are not that exceptional like a pandemic mm. <laughs> and and <laughs> it's not always a pandemic yeah so usually um, you 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 have some means to accelerate in europe um mm. and you, you can get a pace request you can call the examiner you you have the patent prosecution highway you have preliminary protection through early publication um you have national patents. You can go to the national route. You can start with a British or Swiss patent, which gives you fast protection. Mm. You can start with utility models, which gives you fast protection in selected European countries. So there are means in Europe as well. Okay. Yeah. But usually you have you have more than just a year for developing your products. Yeah. And then they can go hand in hand with the with the patent protection.
0: That's good news. Um, (laughs) That's good news. Uh, Let's switch to another topic. Lately, um, I talked in my podcasts a lot about digitalization and how the digital world shapes all industries uh, differently. Uh, Does it also have an effect on patent processes uh, in general?
1: Yeah, um, I I looked at the cost structure, uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe the the, the highest impact is on, on costs. Because as you know, that in uh, international patenting, uh, it's in, you need a lot of translations. You have translation costs, not just only uh, to translate the, the patent applications for submissions at the local offices, but also you get the, the office actions in the local um, um, language. Um, and you need to translate the office actions um, to, to report them to the to the applicant to the client uh, and if you if you can have this kind of um, machine translations with, with, which have a very good quality nowadays yeah that helps a lot. It's much faster and very helpful uh, to um, have um, translations at a lower cost yeah. Um, Also, when when you um, have a European patent granted and you want to validate it in in certain uh, European countries, there are many different languages um, and you can really uh, save a lot with um, using machine translations um, and quality-proofed machine translations. That is very helpful. So translation cost is one one tool. also, when it comes to prior art documents cited by the examiner, and we have more and more Chinese prior art held against our claims, yeah, you need to translate it to understand what was in the prior art. And again, translation um, with, by machine translation is, is, is very convenient. Yeah? Um, also, video conferences um, is, is nowadays um, a very um, appropriate tool, not just between you and me or clients uh, working on a, on a, on a document a very efe- in a very efficient way. Um, it's also uh, before the offices um, and court of appeals, also the board of appeal. Um, the um, oral hearings at the Department of the European Patent Office, they, they are um, by video conference. So no need to travel to Munich um, anymore. Uh, this helps to spare costs. Um, which is which is very good and, and it, it's really working well yeah mm. um home office is good and bad and everyone will have an opinion whether it's better for you to to, to stay at home working or not uh, but i think this depends it will, depends. Not, it will <laughs> not help reducing the costs <laughs> mm. yeah but- so
0: I agree, I mean, uh, machine or uh, AI-based translations, I'm surprised how well that really works these days. Uh, also yeah. in the contract world, how yeah. accurate translations already are. Uh, and it saves, I mean, not only on the cost side, uh, but it saves also timing wise, um, just when I get a contract from China or from somewhere in the world that they don't understand or any document, just put it on Google Translate. And uh, especially from this foreign language into English works really well to get a yes. basic understanding of what's in it. And uh, from what I heard from you right now is that these machine translations are already accepted uh, officially. Is that really the right understanding that
1: I got? Um, they are not really accepted offici- mm-hmm. um, officially, but uh, the, uh, you can use them as a tool um, you know, we, we are working with a network of of specialists all over the world. So now, I think in more than one hundred fifty countries, um, we have um, um, corresponding patent attorneys, uh, all specialized in life science. So we have a network of life science specialist patent professionals. Yeah, and when we send uh, applications in the English language, okay, please file um, in Malaysia. Yeah uh they will translate it. Yeah, hmm. and they can use uh, or they, they can proofread the machine translation uh at lower costs than just um doing it from scratch yeah okay this... and on the other hand if we if we get um, um an office action let's say from, from japan they send us the office action from japan and there are already machine translation um versions online available yeah, so you, you get that online at the USPTO um, or at the European uh, register. Um, so you get machine translation of, of the corresponding Chinese or Japanese office actions that you can use for reporting. You don't need to, to prepare translations anymore because that is already uh, at the office uh, available at the office. So it's getting more and more into the direction uh, to be kind of accepted, but at the end you will want to have a quality um, translation to be filed. Yeah.
0: But in between, I mean all this communication is speed up and uh, now cost definitely. efficient. And yeah, and you only need one quality translation at the end of the process and not initially at the beginning of the process because I can also imagine during the patent processes, a lot of, of documents are read and visited uh, which uh, at the end of the day don't end up in a patent application. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay. So it, um, in this way, I think digitalization will reduce costs. Um, one, one more other cost um, factor uh, uh, because we're talking about um, I would like to mention is also a unitary patent that, mm-hmm. that is upcoming this year. So it um, will be upcoming. <laughs> I, um, I really would not bet because I lost already several bets whether it's coming or not. But um, all the signs say uh, by the end of the year, we will have a unitary patent, which mean, means kind of European Union patent. Yeah, that, that will also save a lot of um, translation costs. Um,
0: really, can we can we can we stick with the topic a little bit? A uh, unitary patent in the European Union means one language, uh, and it's valid in all countries.
1: That was the idea. It it turned out to be a bit different, okay. <laughs> but that was the idea.
0: What's <laughs> <is> the reality?
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, you will have uh, the, the prosecution like an ordinary European patent. Uh, application that will be prosecuted, examined, and granted. So then you have a European patent. After, you know, you know, as after the, the European patent has been granted, that covers mm-hmm. 38 countries, yeah? mm-hmm. more than the European Union. Um, after the European patent is granted, usually you have um, a time period to select where you want to pay the annuities, where you want to maintain uh, or validate the European patent. So usually you you select five or ten or fifteen or thirty eight countries where you want to validate this European patent, and usually you had to to um, to file translations here and there uh, to get it validated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and now with a unitary patent, you can elect um, this unitary patent. Which is valid for 25 European Union countries. Yeah. So if you elect one unitary patent valid for 25 European Union countries. You still need to elect um, Switzerland and uh, and and the UK um, and maybe Turkey or some other countries where you which are not part of the European Union, uh, but. It, it's very helpful to have one election of the European Union. Um, 25, not 27, because uh, Spain and uh, Czech Republic did not uh, ratify the one of oh. the agreements. Okay. Not yet. Maybe they will do in the, in the future. Um, and uh, the process is that within one month after the uh, European patent grant, you can elect uh, this unitary patent. Um, at the, and uh, the main and just you just need to pay the maintenance fees, yeah, and just one maintenance fee for all, not in every single country, but one. And the maintenance fee is maybe at the cost of four mm-hmm. individual countries. So if you have, if you would elect more than four, you just elect the military patent. and you get a, you get twenty five uh, at the price of four. That's about the rule of thumb. <laughs>
0: it's a good discount. <laughs> it's a good discount. Yeah. It <laughs> makes it more cost efficient in the end, or
1: yeah. The, in The first seven years, you need another one translation. So mm-hmm. because they could not do it without translation. So you need if you have it in, in already in in the English language, which we usually do, you still need one language um, in addition. You can choose maybe Germany or German or some Spain, Spanish or whatever or I mean. Whatever they like. During the first seven years, you need one translation. Um, and um, that's it. You just need to, to, to pay the maintenance fee. Um, there's one downside. Maybe there are more downsides. But one downside is there will be, and this is also maybe a new opportunity, there will be a new patent court in the, okay. that is uh, responsible uh, for dedicating and invalidating uh, European patents and European Unitary Patents. And this this is called the Unified Patent Court, the UPC. Mm. Uh, And that will also be uh, in in existence by the end of this year. Um, And the judges will get training now. So there are new judges, new patent court. Nobody knows how experienced they will be. And they will uh, decide on validity and on infringement. Not just the unitary patents, but all European patents. So they will be responsible for all European patents granted in the past. And this is what what many people think is a downside because it's an inexperienced um, court and they would not want to be the training case for the new judges. So that's why um, people nowadays um, already start with selecting. Which, which cases they are choosing for an opt-out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can choose, let's say, your most important case to for an opt-out saying, um, I would not want to get that to the new UPC. So I would to have that uh, be heard uh, the old-fashioned way before the national courts, not before the one central court. Yeah. Um, And this opt-out is is possible also um, at any time. But if if you start earlier, uh, you can do that earlier. Because if somebody attacked your patent already at the UPC, you cannot no more opt-out. You you are really stuck with the UPC. And then you get it maybe invalidated in the worst worst case, invalidated for 25 countries Mm -hmm. at once. So uh, many... People nowadays uh, already select which of the cases you want to opt out. Uh, and you, start, you can start opting out three months before uh, the UPC gets in existence. It's called the sunrise period. Very elegant The sunrise period. So it will be very busy, the sunrise period, mm-hmm. <laughs> because people, people want to opt out their most important cases. But then I think it, it will turn out on the long term if, if the charges are experienced and if, if you can trust in them,
0: uh, it will turn out to be a very useful tool. Yeah, I also think so. I also think so that the benefits outweigh the risks um, at the end of the day. Um, when we talk about simplification, uh, some parts, I think, in terms of patents are becoming more and more complex. Uh, looking at the investment world, um, 10 years ago, when I looked at or uh, talked with investors, they were clearly focused on drug development. And other investors, like in Austria, for example, Speed Invest, were focusing more on the digital world. And there was basically nothing in between. So whenever I I found a project that had parts of drug development in it and parts of uh, artificial intelligence, for example, or any kind of technology outside drug development, usually I was uh, in this nowhere land in between. So. Investors in the drug development world said it's too much from the digital space, and investors from the digital world said, okay, it's too much drug development, I don't touch it, and there was nothing in between. When you look at the investment world nowadays, like, for example, ARC fund, Kathy Wood, uh, who is uh, talking about that uh, the different areas of technology are coming together and there will be more links between these technologies, Uh, more products will evolve out of uh, these dynamics um, that have parts of, when we stay in life science, drug development, medical devices, diagnostics in it, uh, artificial intelligence, and scientists all over the world start working together to um, create a huge melting, interdisciplinary melting pot. Um, What does it mean for patents? I mean, when I think back uh, 10, 15 years ago, when I uh, started in in life science, uh, understanding inventions in drug development is a science by itself when it comes to patents. So it's very complex, complicated. It needs a lot of in-depth know-how in this area. And when I now try to... um, Think about how the world for you will be in the future, where you not only see one tech area, but uh, people approach you with uh, maybe seven, eight different disciplines that mm-hmm. uh, play into one patent. Uh, how how will the world look like? How complex is it really for you and your team?
1: It, it's great fun,
0: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so. We always talk about we are, we are specialized in life science, um, and and that's true. And but how can you be a specialist in this large field? And that the field is 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 getting broader and broader, as you said. Yeah, it's not just about uh, recombinant um, products, um, engineered biologicals. Um, genes, DNA, um, RNA, proteins, peptides, not so much about methods of cloning, cell culture, whatever. These are the classical life science type of thing. Um, therapeutics, diagnostics, vaccines. Um, transgenic plants is, is also a special area. Uh, so the treatment methods, clinical methods, um, very, very good. Um, and... and um, I like this kind of patent stratification, but starting with patent patient stratification and personalization, um, you already get into the um, AI-assisted topic uh, of um, digesting information and data and then finding out which patient is the one that that should be in, in this clinical trial or should be treated and should get the medical treatment um so the the tools are getting more and more interdisciplinary also with um with let's say overlapping fields of mm-hmm. organic chemistry and biologics this this I experienced that already quite some time ago it it's it's very much overlapping because of course um nucleic acids are already also organic molecules which you can engineer yeah mm-hmm. so uh, and and you can have screening methods um. Also, because of organic structures, yeah. Also, this ADC uh, world.
0: Also, this yeah. ADC
1: world, or... yeah. So you have ADC is is one point, but but also you can um, you can enge- engineer oligonucleotides, mm-hmm. yeah, and have some uh, chimerics, yeah. So it, a lot of lot of overlaps of the of the fields, but um, as, as with screening methods and personalized medicines, this is really an AI topic. Um, and, but it's, as I said, it's a fun part of the story because I, I do not need to be, uh, the, the top specialists because, and, and decide, I find that invent inventors are the best teachers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if there's an inventor, uh, and brings you his or her baby saying, okay, I've got something very special. I get the best inventions on my table. You can bet. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really fun listening what uh, the people were inventing uh, and um, and then in the discussion um, it's about what can be the commercial application and this is my part of it I do not need to be the, the specialist um, in science but I'm the body for the scientists finding out which is the best commercial application and if if, if we find okay this this can be done that can be done this is the topic which I want to put on paper and get into a patent claim. So it's, it would always be um, a matter of communication and discussion. Um, and um, it's the, the um, digesting what the this, this specialist is telling me and mm. getting, reformulating a patent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the same with, uh, let's say, in the patent world. Um, um, as I said, we we are working with 150 um, um, so patent professionals in the life science industry, 150 countries. Yeah, so we know a lot of specialists here and there, and there's always um, good um, exchange of information and and discussion of how do you how do you deal with this type of um, technology, how can we get that protected in Japan or in the u s um and this is also a, another level of communication between specialists yeah I do not need to to know everything by heart, but I know how to discuss with them and to get it to get them the client what what they need this is I think this is the them how to deal with such interdisciplinary topics
0: yeah it was just uh while you were speaking, I was just thinking about digitalization. There's always this fear that uh, a lot of jobs will be lost in the process of digitalization. But whenever I speak with people, um, also what you said right now, there will always be enough uh, problems to solve uh, that involves people. And uh, when we streamline one part of the process, we tap into other parts that suddenly pop up, like interdisciplinary approaches, which involves then more and more specialists. Uh, yeah. to discuss the problems and find proper solutions also in the patent process. Mm-hmm. And what well, you also said, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I think patents are important when it's really clear how what the product should look like at the end of the day. I mean, not the exact product, but at least an idea for commercialization. It's the, the initiating point and companies should become the strategy straight first before uh, thinking about patenting anything, otherwise it's just cost that, uh, that appears. Would you agree to that statement?
1: Yeah, definitely yeah. And um, uh, talking about maybe as a summary, it, it, the good part of my job is it's never boring because <laughs> you, <it>. you <laughs> I can work with the top scientists. And a network of highly specialized uh, colleagues and, and with business guys uh, and investors to get a deal done and to get products um, to where they are supposed to get. Uh, I mean, best to the market, of course, yeah. And this is a really great tool to, to get the business done. Uh, and I think this is what, what I cannot uh, emphasize more. <laughs> so I guess...
0: Yeah, completely agree with that. As initially uh, said, I mean, Warren Buffett is a huge fan of modes, business modes and uh, patents mm-hmm. are one of those. And starting with the process early helps at the end of the day to move the business forward and attract investors and also licensing partners. And I think it's not a question of getting one patent right, it's just a question of when is the right point in time to uh, add new patents, uh, to to Mm -hmm. abandon old patents. So uh, it's a process that runs alongside product development and not, uh, I would say, um, only pops up at certain decision points in time. Um, When I imagine that maybe one or the other scientists – in the audience uh, now thinks about uh, involving patent attorneys, what's the right approach in your opinion? What what would be your advice as a first step to the scientists?
1: Um, the first step is, of course, thinking about what you have in your hands. Um, and if you if you have um, a great technology at hand or an or, uh, idea of developing a product, um, which is not trivial, um, and which has um, an interest uh, could could trigger an interest in the market, um, then um, I think it's the right time of discussing with the partner company. Uh, a first discussion will always be confidential, of course. Yeah, you don't need to mandate or to sign something yeah, for a first discussion. It is always confidential, and and uh, a thirty minutes discussion is always for free. Yeah. So it's to get a first impression. Is this too early or is, is, is this guy, uh, on the table? Does he or she understand me? Is, mm-hmm. is, is this the the appropriate match? It's also a personal type of thing. Yeah. Um, because, uh, it's entrusting someone. Yeah. Um, so this first discussion is always a good idea. Uh, if you're not sure, um, then just try. Yeah. And and then you you can take it from there. Yeah. In 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 sailing, um, there is a say um, like when in doubt, let it out. Yeah. <laughs> because then, then nothing happens. Yeah. And here I would say, when in doubt, just just call. <laughs> that's
0: that's good advice. Yeah. One one final question from my end. Uh, did I miss any topic that you would like to have discussed in the podcast?
1: Oh we could we, we could discuss for hours I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If
1: um, um yeah, is there it, is there an
0: open topic that you would like to address uh, at the end of the podcast?
1: Um yeah, we were discussing the value of patents and mm. portfolio development and very important things for um business and investors and partner partnering issues and whatever, but um, at the end, I think it's about the people. Yeah. Um, Even if there are the the topics of artificial intelligence are more and more important, but at the end, this is from my experience. Yeah, It's about the people. You can have the best inventions, the best patterns. If the team, and and it's always a team, yeah? Um, best team is a scientist plus a business guy yeah if the team is working well they can make a lot if the team does not work well the best patents will not help uh, so it's it's also a, a matter of getting the right people on board and also getting the the right patent attorney to help you it's about the people i think.
0: That's great advice, and I think this is true for all businesses. Business is always between people and getting the relationships right initially uh, helps creating success in the end of the day. If people work well together, everything is possible, and if the relationship don't work, it can be very challenging. I completely agree to that. (laughs) Gerda, thank you very much for your time. I think uh, we could uh, also add another two hours. Maybe we have, uh, we revisit that patent topic later this year. Uh, I wish you and your team still were in January. So uh, happy new year and a great 2020.
1: Thank you, Christian. You
0: too. Have a great day. Bye. Bye bye. Did you like the episode? Then please, please, please leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple and make sure that you like, comment and share the YouTube episode. It helps that the algorithm delivers the episodes to people who also benefit from it the same way than you did. Have a great day.